Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, China's ambassador to Canada warns the government against giving asylum to Hong Kong protesters. We will continue to highlight uh, our concern for the Canadians detained, our uh, concern for the protection of human rights in places like Hong Kong and Xinjiang province. The Indigenous Services Minister calls a raid on fishing facilities in Nova Scotia an assault on the Mi'kmaq people. These unacceptable acts of violence, including the assault of Chief Sack, threats and intimidation, some racist in nature, cannot and will not fetter the right of the Mi'kmaq people to pursue a moderate livelihood as affirmed close to 25 years ago in the Marshall decision. And are the provinces any closer to a deal with the federal government on long-term care? The Prime Minister has said that he just wants to avoid a similar situation during the second wave as we saw in the spring, especially in Ontario and Quebec. Um, and he doesn't want a patchwork of standards across the country. It's Friday, October the 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. China's ambassador to Canada has sent a warning to the government now about giving asylum to protesters from Hong Kong. And this, of course, is the latest in a lot of back-and-forth diplomacy playing out very publicly this week between Canada and China. Tell us about this latest development and what it means in terms of Canada's relationship with China. Yeah, China's ambassador to Canada had basically a video press conference on Thursday where he said that he was strongly urging the Canadian side not to grant uh, so-called political asylum to violent criminals in Hong Kong, he's referring to the protesters, because this would be considered interference in China's domestic affairs and would embolden these violent criminals. As you know, um, the government in Beijing has passed laws affecting Hong Kong that are widely seen as not respecting the uh, one country, two system uh, uh, decision that was made when uh, the Brits handed over uh, control of Hong Kong over to the Chinese. Um, what was perhaps more alarming in the ambassador's comments was that he tied the health and welfare of 300,000 Canadian passport holders who live in Hong Kong uh, to the government's actions, saying that if Canada really cares about the stability and prosperity in Hong Kong, and, and I'm quoting here, really cares about the good health and safety of those 300,000 Canadian passport holders in Hong Kong and the large number of Canadian companies operating in Hong Kong, you should fight these efforts to fight violent, uh, you should support, rather, these efforts to fight violent crimes. So um, not surprising that uh, a lot of people view that as a direct threat direct threat to Canadians. Um, there was also a, a press conference in Ottawa with um, a group of individuals uh, suggesting that Ottawa should take a tougher stance on China, impose a Magnitsky Act, for example, on those responsible um, for some of these rule changes in Hong Kong. So there's definitely an escalation of tension. Um, the Foreign Affairs Minister, uh, has a press conference today, uh, not related on China, but I'm sure he's going to be asked about it. And Ottawa has already signaled that it is working on a new foreign policy um, that is widely believed to affect China. So um, things are certainly moving, and their um, uh, tensions are escalating, I yeah. think, as to say. 
All right, let's turn to the situation with the fisheries in Nova Scotia. The Indigenous Services Minister, Mark Miller, spoke about this yesterday, uh, calling it an assault on the Mi'kmaq people. Mm-hmm. Um, bring us up to date on what's happening there and, and where the potential for a resolution might be. Yeah, well, I mean, there were a couple of things. It was interesting. Um, Mark Miller, the Indigenous Service Minister, was actually supposed to be talking about um, COVID-19 and, the, and its impact on Indigenous communities. And he he himself, without being prompted, decided to weigh in on this issue, saying that he couldn't really stay silent about it. Um, he called the, the acts against um, the, the chief over there um, an unacceptable acts of violence, uh, talking about threats, intimidation, that those racist in nature, um, that uh, the government cannot stand by and um, let uh, like basically mobs affect the right of Indigenous people to pursue a moderate livelihood. The flip side of the issue is that um, although nobody has come out and said they support violence, um, some fishers have said that what they're really concerned about is the sustainability of the fishery. If the Mi'kmaq are allowed to fish, uh, without having moderate livelihood defined, that that would seriously impact um, the viability of the fishery. So the Fisheries and Oceans Minister says that she's been talking to both sides, the nation side and the commercial fish harvesters separately to try to find a solution. The, the solution is widely believed to be found in Ottawa. We even heard the Premier of Nova Scotia basically say, I can't do anything this is in Ottawa's hands. Um, at the same time, though, Ottawa... Um, is raising real concerns about the fact that the RCMP is just standing by, that it hasn't arrested anybody, even though it's seen criminal activity. Um, today, um, Mark Miller and uh, Carolyn Bennett, the Crown Indigenous Relations Minister, will be hosting um, a meeting on systemic racism, this time though not focused with regards to fisheries, but on healthcare workers, uh, on the healthcare sector, pardon me, which will involve healthcare workers, provincial counterparts, uh, indigenous leaders, and the goal is to fight systemic racism in the healthcare sector. Um, hmm. We uh, obviously are are thinking about um, Joyce Equishand, the woman who died in the uh, hospital in Juliet, yes. who videotaped from her hospital that the racist comments that she had made. So there's been a lot of back and forth between Ottawa and Quebec, Premier Legault and the Prime Minister, frankly, and, and a little bit Mark Miller, but um, the Prime Minister and uh, the Quebec Premier have been kind of trading barbs about uh, whether or not systemic racism exists, but we're told that Quebec um, will be participating in today's, um, in today's meeting on systemic racism. All right, let's turn next to the meeting between the Prime Minister and the Premiers last night. They talk every week during the coronavirus crisis. One of the issues that's come to light during this pandemic is the state of long-term care facilities in this country. Are we any closer to an agreement on that between the federal government and provincial and territorial leaders? Well, uh, the federal government would certainly like to be closer to an agreement. The Premiers uh, seem to be standing quite firm on the um, give us money but don't tell us how to use it uh, stance. Um, yesterday, the Prime Minister's office was being quite coy about what it actually is looking for. And uh, the Prime Minister has said that he just wants to avoid a similar situation um, in COVID-19 and during the second wave, as we saw in the spring, especially in Ontario and Quebec. Um, and he doesn't want a patchwork of standards across the country. 
um, what standards, national standards, would mean, whether that's rules, whether it means training, whether it means enforcement of the rules, um, is unclear. But Ottawa has made it very clear that it is willing to put much more money on the table. In fact, I was told it most definitely means more money. Um, the premiers have suggested that they don't want to be told what to do. But um, a Carlton prop I spoke with yesterday suggested that the, probably what could happen is what we saw with home care and mental health in 2017, where Ottawa didn't get you know one uh, one agreement for everybody. They basically negotiated bilateral agreements between provinces, and Mark, they substantially differ from one another. Like Ontario's is quite specific. It outlines what the federal funds will support and what the expected outcomes are. But Quebec basically says Quebec is responsible for establishing its vision and priorities and objectives and that there is no dispute resolution mechanism and Quebec gets to decide how it spends its money. So, you know, it basically says Ottawa would like you to spend it on this, but nothing forces you to do so. And it's possible that maybe in order to get everybody a win that you could see something like that happen. All right, finally, let's talk about the Conservative Party's attempts to get the WE scandal back front and centre in Canadian politics. This week, the Liberals have been trying to stop discussion about it at the committee level, and the Conservatives are looking to bring it back to the floor of the House of Commons. So bring us up to date on that and some of the politics around it. Yeah, so the House isn't sitting this week, but uh, the Ethics Committee and the Finance Committee were certainly busy. Ethics sat until 11 o'clock um, Eastern last night, last night. Um, the Liberals have been filibustering efforts uh, to try to get the uh, committees to begin again the we investigations that were started in the summer because, of course, with prorogation, everything uh, basically hit stop, and now the opposition wants to hit the restart button, and the Liberals have zero interest in bringing back the wheat charity. Uh, they no doubt uh, recall how quickly their polling numbers fell uh, during the summer when this consumed all the attention, and they have no interest in reviving it. Uh, so it's unclear if the... Um, Opposition is going to be successful at committee. One thing that has buy-in is this idea of a special committee that the Conservatives uh, have proposed, that the NDP claim is their idea, so obviously they support it, and the Bloc also supports it, which is having a committee that would be entirely and solely focused on uh, finding the missing links in the weed charity and seeing if there's any uh, further legs to this story that the opposition could exploit. Um the Conservatives have put uh, on notice the possibility that they would use their opposition date next Tuesday uh, to set up this committee and discuss setting up this committee. And obviously, uh, an opposition date motion means that there would be a vote. And because all three major opposition parties are in agreement, this is basically um, a done deal. So um, if that's what they decide to push forward, um, it, it looks like we will have a special committee studying uh, the We Charity scandal controversy, I guess I should say. Um, yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You too. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast. I cannot end this conference, however, without addressing the incidents in southwestern Nova Scotia and what amounts to an assault on the Mi'kmaq people. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Ken Coates argues Canada's courts and governments 
have themselves to blame for the lobster fishery dispute. Coates writes, Aside from the condemnable alleged acts of vandalism and arson, neither First Nations nor non-Indigenous protesters are to blame for this conflict. Responsibility for these tensions lies at the feet of governments, which have ignored 18th century treaties for generations, failed to negotiate a modern treaty to update national commitments to maritime First Nations, and have marginalized Indigenous peoples in the East Coast fishery and economy. At National Newswatch, Don Lenahan and Andrew Balfour argue that during the second wave, decision-making has never been harder or more important. They write, During the first wave, leaders deferred to public health officials on how to respond to the pandemic. Governments have come a long way over the last eight months. Experts now know enough about how the virus spreads to contain it within a region so that governments don't have to shut down a whole province. But there is a price to pay for plans like this. Generally, the more complex they get, the less likely they are to be guided by medical science. At globalnews.ca, Bill Kelly argues public health rules are the path to economic recovery. Kelly writes, We all want businesses to thrive, but that's not going to happen as long as people are getting sick or are fearful of contracting this deadly virus. The masks, the social distancing and hand sanitizers are short-term inconveniences, which will help us avoid the long-term pain of a lengthy pandemic. We need to support local businesses, but we need to play by the COVID-19 rules, or this pandemic won't go away for a long, long time. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacorte argues, it's time for female politicians to talk about the misogyny, racism, and hurtful comments they endure. Delacorte writes, getting politicians to talk wouldn't seem like much of a challenge. But getting women politicians to talk is not as easy as one might assume. It could be that some have stories they simply don't want to relive. These aren't the kind of stories that will attract women to politics, but they need to be aired to change the political culture. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Two federal ministries will be holding a special emergency meeting with Indigenous leaders from across the country today to discuss racism in Canada's health care system. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will be joined by Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister Carolyn Bennett, and they will meet virtually with almost 200 leaders from Indigenous communities across the country. They'll be discussing how to combat racism and discrimination against Indigenous people in Canada's healthcare systems. This commitment comes in the wake of that traumatic incident in Quebec involving the death of Joyce, Joyce Eshequan, an Atikamekw woman, who recorded healthcare workers taunting and abusing her shortly before her death in a hospital in Joliet, Quebec. Now, Minister Miller yesterday cautioned that this one meeting won't change everything overnight, and he said all those involved should not expect revolutionary changes after just one get-together. But he did say that the federal government is committed to using its leverage, including its spending powers, to try to counter systemic racism and discriminatory behaviour in the healthcare systems across the country. However, once again, in this time where the COVID pandemic is laying bare some deep problems, it's yet another issue where the federal government's noble intentions are going to be targeting a problem which is largely in a provincial jurisdiction. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of Armenia and the President of Turkey, before also speaking with the media, along with Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic Leblanc, to provide an update on COVID-19. Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne will hold a news conference to discuss his trip to Europe. 
and Middle Class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual town hall meeting hosted by the Newmarket Chamber of Commerce. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, October the 16th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.